tell you what, the, uh, the view from the tower of uh, Bladen Parish Church, where Augustus Montague Toplady was the, uh, the, the vicar, the pastor, the, the rector, is incredible. Uh, you look over the most beautiful rolling countryside across a lake and up to the Mendip Hills on the other side, and uh, you walk down from the church through the gorge where there's the rock. And uh, there's a little plaque on the top that says, this is where this hymn was written. And you can squeeze into the crack, into the crevice in the rock. And you can sense the protection that indeed is afforded by the rock. And uh, it's a joy when we begin to look at the scriptures and see very clearly that our God is described as a rock because we live in a world of sinking sand, of shifting sands. doesn't matter which way the wind's blowing, it changes, and all of a sudden attitudes change. Uh, people's response to each other changes, and we see many problems taking place in our lives. And there are times when we will do anything, it seems, to be able to avoid the encounter with God that is going to happen can't tell you when exactly. It could be this evening. But it will happen. And we need to be ready for that encounter. To be ready means that we need to be not walking on sand. We need to make sure that we have a foundation which is strong and a foundation which will hold us. And above all, we need to have the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we spoke of this morning, his blood has the power. But the power, his blood has to be applied in our lives, and that's what we need to see. It's been a joy to speak both on Good Friday and this morning, and again we bring this Easter weekend to a close this evening. And if you were able to join us for our Good Friday service, you'll remember that we spoke together as to how God the Father saw the crucifixion of his dear Son. And essentially, we saw that God wanted the world to see what was taking place. He wanted the world to see all that was happening. And so the crucifixion was very public. There was nothing private about it. And as we saw in that clip this morning, we would recognize just how public it really was. And then if you were able to join us this morning on Easter Sunday morning, we considered the Passover and saw clearly that the lamb was needed. Death was coming. And if you happened to have been the firstborn, and you were sat there, perhaps on the floor or on a little stool of some description, and as we spoke of this morning, and your father is there, and you know what's taking place, and you're thinking to yourself, Dad, is the lamb okay? And the father says, yes, son, the lamb's okay. And then the son would say, Dad, what about the blood? And the father, because he loves his son, would say, Son, there's nothing to worry about because the blood is here. And then the son looks to his father and he says, But dad, I'm the firstborn, aren't I? Because, of course, it had great meaning to him. And the father would say, Yes, but you've nothing to worry about because the blood has been applied to the doorposts, and to the lintel above. And the son might say, but dad, how do I know? 
And the dad looks at his son and says, because God says in his word that when the angel of death sees the blood, because the blood has been applied, and you're in the house where you should be, you're safe. And that, of course, friends, is the gospel that we have before us, and we remind ourselves of that. So the lamb, of course, is still needed. Jesus died on the cross. His blood was shed. But we have to apply it in our lives. Now this evening, I want to look briefly at the curtain in the temple. Now you think to yourself, what's the curtain in the temple got to do with all of this? Well, actually, it's got a great deal to do with all of it. Um, In fact, it's, it's one of those... Uh, sort of things which we can easily skip over and, and miss in our reading. But the scriptures tell us very clearly that this event happened. Now, just to try and understand the magnitude of this, we're talking about not just, oh, there's no curtains in here. We're not talking about your bedroom curtains or your granny's flock curtains on the kitchen window. We're talking about a curtain that's 60 feet high. Okay, we're talking about a curtain that's 30 feet wide. We're talking a curtain that is the thickness of a man's hand there to there it weighs tons and to move it would have required a whole group of priests and this curtain the scriptures tell us was torn from the top look up from the top and it was torn right the way to the bottom And we discover that there is enormous significance in this in our lives. And so never, ever quickly read over scriptures. Listen, read it, understand it, ask God to apply it. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the significance of this particular event. So let's read together some well-known sections of scripture um, that you've probably uh, read yourself or you may have heard read by other people. If you've gone to church all your life and you've attended other Easter services, then of course you will definitely have heard these scriptures before. If you've gone to a Christian school, the chances of not hearing them are zero. So I know that you will have heard them. If by any chance you're not from a Christian family, you're here as a visitor this evening maybe, and you've never been to a church before, well, yes, maybe you won't have heard these words, but we're going to read them. So we begin by reading very, these very familiar words from uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verses 39 to 45. And we read, Then one of the criminals who was crucified with Jesus blasphemed him, saying, If you were the Christ, save yourself and us. And the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened and the veil in the temple, the curtain in the temple, was torn in two. And now we read from Luke's gospel. Sorry, that's uh, um, 
uh, from Luke's Gospel. Now we read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verses 51 to 53. And again, it sheds a little bit more light on the, uh, um, the subject that we're looking at. And this is what Matthew says. He says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. He goes on and gives us more details. He says, The earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So obviously we have a situation here where something incredible has obviously taken place. Uh, we discover as we read these verses together that what took place at, that, at Calvary was, was, was absolutely mind-blowing. But in more ways than just simply seeing the things around us, around what was taking place. But this evening I want us to just focus on the business of the veil being torn from the top to the bottom. It's intriguing. I suppose you could imagine the priests going into the temple and they see the curtain and they think to themselves, what's gone on here? It wasn't what they were expecting. Suddenly, the Holy of Holies was opened. The place that only the high priest could go into, the other side of the curtain, and only then, once a year, suddenly it was open. Everybody could see in. These were amazing things that were taking place. And it's this intriguing, uh, and what we want to uh, consider this evening uh, is, is the question of why, and what is the significance of the curtain being torn from the top to the bottom? You remember that when the Jews were traveling from uh, Egypt towards the Promised Land, um, that God had given them instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Now, for those of us who have been going through our uh, readings, uh, reading the Bible in one year, we've, we've, we've had to go through these sections of Scripture in, in uh, um, uh, Leviticus and uh, um, uh, Numbers, Numbers, and we see all the detail. And, and you know, it's, it's like one of those huge Meccano kits that you've got to try and put together, but you've got to get everything in the right order. God gave very, very specific instructions as to how this tent was to be put together, and they would have to pack it up and move it when they were moving uh, further towards the promised land. It was a huge tent, and it was what you'd call as the forerunner of the temple, and God gave these instructions as to how it was to be made. And if you've been following um, those, those readings, you'd have thought to yourself, this is incredibly complicated. The detail is absolutely incredible. It was called the tabernacle, and in part of the tabernacle, there was this area that was known, of the, as, known as the Holy of Holies or the Holy Place. And of course, when Solomon eventually builds uh, the first temple, there again was the Holy of Holies, this place that was restricted. The curtain would have been there. Uh, and then as we see, uh, the temple, that Solomon's temple was eventually destroyed. And then Herod had, had uh, recently, uh, at, at this time with the Lord Jesus, had rebuilt the temple. And again, there's the holy place, the Holy of Holies. It was a place where the high priest could enter just once a year on the Day of Atonement. And we spoke about the Day of Atonement very briefly this morning. And he had to have blood with him. He had to have that basin of blood when he went into the holy place. What was in the holy place? 
what's it all about? Well, inside the holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, of course, there were the Ten Commandments. There was Aaron's rod that had budded. And there was a jar with manna, the bread-like stuff that grew in the desert. The food that had fallen from heaven and had fed the Israelites as they had wandered in the wilderness. It was the place God dwelt. On top of the ark was what was called the mercy seat. It was God's house, if you like. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest went with blood into the holy place. And the blood was not only to cover his own sins, but also to cover the sins of the people of Israel. Now, this was a big, big moment for the Israelites, for the Jewish nation, the Day of Atonement, because the holy place was where God himself met with the representative of the people. The high priest and only the high priest would meet with God. Now, to separate the holy place, the holy of holies, from the rest of the tabernacle and later the temples, to exclude the people from the holy of holies, to exclude the people from directly meeting with God, there was this curtain, there was this veil, and as we've said, it was an incredible thing. 60 feet high, 30 feet wide. It was very, very thick. In fact, it could only be moved by a group of priests if they worked together to open it to allow the high priest in. It was a barrier. It was designed as a barrier. It was designed to stop people meeting God. Now, with all that background, when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was dying, carrying on himself our sin. And the Bible says he died the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust. I hope we all know which category we fall into this evening. Would you call yourself righteous or unrighteous? Just or unjust? Well, it's sad when people think they're righteous. It's sad when people think they're good enough because they're not, as we saw this morning. God rejects our first birth. God rejects our birth into this world. And we have to be born again to be accepted by him. Jesus died in our place. He knew no sin. He became sin for us. So he was dying out of love for us. That's what took him to the cross. He was dying that our sin might be forgiven. That the thing which cuts us off from God might be removed. And the fact that his death for us was sufficient was symbolized by this incredible event taking place in the temple curtain being torn. Because his death is sufficient for us. The curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. If it was from the bottom to the top, then it could have been man who had done it. 
It could have been men saying, we're equal with God. But the fact that it was 60 foot high from the top to the bottom and that it was torn from the top to the bottom and it was torn at the exact moment that our Lord Jesus Christ died when he said, it is finished, then it is clear that this was an act of God. Now, what was the curtain, the veil, really symbolizing? Well, we've touched on it. And I've got four things, though, what I want to just talk about very briefly that we see it symbolizes. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I say this with... um, Uh, with a bit of trepidation, really, you can sort of sit back for the rest of the message and relax. But if you're not a believer, if you haven't come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if I came up to you afterwards and said, tell me, are you a believer? What would you say? What would your answer be? Hallelujah. We've got at least one here. But just supposing... You were evasive and didn't want to answer the question. Just supposing you knew that you're not a believer, that you haven't put your trust and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you would say to me instantly, as many people do, no, I'm not a believer. Well, if you're in that category, then I'm going to ask you not to sit back and relax this evening. I'm going to ask you not to simply Uh, perhaps um, just rejoice in all the things that are being said and being spoken about, because that's what believers will do. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, then you need to sit up and listen and hear what this all means, what this temple curtain being torn apart from the top to the bottom means, because it is really illustrating the gospel in a clear and practical way. And I hope with all my heart that as you go out this evening, you will have at least understood. In fact, it worries me slightly because you will go out understanding the gospel. But if you don't respond to the gospel, then you continue to be lost. You continue in your unbelief. But now the stakes are higher. Because you've been told the truth and you've rejected it. You've heard the truth and you don't want to listen to it. You try to put everything else that perhaps your parents or your family put before you and they say, no, 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 no. You can't come to faith in the Lord Jesus for whatever reason. I want to try and do this by talking about four things. And first of all, the curtain is illustrating the fact that the distance between God and human beings has been removed. When there's a barrier and you can't get through, you can't get through. But if that barrier is removed, if the door is open, if the curtain is pulled back, if the curtain is torn in two, then the barrier no longer exists. And so the first thing that we need to understand in our hearts, in our lives this evening, on this Easter Sunday is that God graciously has removed the barrier from us. In other words, he's saying, come in. Can I make that any clearer? Come in. He goes on and he says, you're welcome. Because the curtain is open. And you can walk in. Or you can turn away and walk away. The only two choices we have. There was this thick barrier, but now it's gone. 
Now we can talk to God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, Lord, this is just so unbelievably amazing. I can talk to you. You talk to me. Because the barrier has been removed. The curtain temple has been torn. You are the God who created the heavens and the earth and the billions and billions and billions of stars that twinkle in the sky from all the galaxies around. This is the God who tore the curtain in the temple and said, come in, come to me. It was his invitation. When Jesus died on the cross, the invitation was given to all of us to come in. There was no restriction. When we talk about billions of stars, what about the billions of cells in our bodies? <laughs> I look at myself sometimes and I think, am I fearfully and wonderfully made? Maybe I'm more fearfully and more wonderfully made than everybody else. I don't know. But I tell you what, the more you listen to it and the more you realize just how intricate everything in this, this, this wonderful, wonderful world is, and our bodies and the way, you know, with all these cells, and each one of them has, has, a, has an exact copy of the DNA of, um, of each of the others. If it was all strung out together, it would go to the moon and back again seven and a half times, they reckon, for the average human being. I don't know if I'm an average human being or not, but I find that just utterly, utterly incredible. And, and then you listen to a program that I listened to recently, and doctors admit they don't know a fraction of, what, of, of how we really function and work. How is it that something spongy, and in my case very spongy, <laughs> can remember things, can learn languages, can play piano? How is it possible? So we're intricately, carefully, perfectly formed. And now God says, the barrier's gone, the invitation is open, come to me, meet with me. You and I can speak, you and I can talk, you and I can have the attention of God. Isn't that incredible? Now, I have met Queen Elizabeth II, well I would be, I'm English. My father and I queued up, not queued up, we waited in a crowd uh, in the city of Reading and uh, it was for the new civic center that had been built and Her Majesty the Queen was coming to open it. And uh, we waited patiently for a couple of hours and she came right up to my father and she put her hand out and she said to my dad, I can remember all the words, at least the gist of them, she said, um, do you live in Reading? And my father said, yes, your majesty, we do. And she said, can I ask your name? And he said, my name is David. And then she said, is this your son? And, I said, and he said, yes. And we talked, and she spoke to us. And I remember my father looking at her. He held her hand, and he said, your majesty, I want you to know that we love you and we pray for you every day. And she looked at my father, and she said, thank you, David. Thank you for what you have just said. And then she shook my hand, and that was the end of it. Now, the sad thing is, is I haven't had the follow-up invitation to tea at Buckingham Palace. 
Okay. We did our best to introduce ourselves, and, uh, and I'm still waiting. There's always the possibility, I suppose, that one day there will be a, a, an envelope or uh, an email, maybe, uh, with the coat of arms for the Queen on the top, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. But you see, if I did get one, do you know what? Every single one of you in this church would know about it. I would be holding that card, and I would be showing it to people, and I would be saying, look, the Queen has invited me for tea. She wants me to go to her house for tea and cakes. And, and, and I'm going to go regardless of what happens. Nothing's going to, Justin Trudeau will not stop me. I'm going to get there, okay? Because she sent an invitation. And I'm going to rejoice in that. But we're not talking about the Queen of England here. I'm talking about meeting and speaking with God before whom... Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II will one day have to bow down and also face judgment. And God tore the curtain from the top to the bottom. And he said, you can come in. It was an invitation. The way was open. The barrier was gone. And all of this is possible because Jesus Christ has died to remove the sin which cuts us off from God. You see, God is too pure. He's too holy to even look on sin. Our sins have separated us from God, and that was the illustration of the curtain in the temple. The barrier, the thick barrier. But it was torn from the top to the bottom. So firstly, the curtain illustrated the fact that the distance... The separation between God and human beings has been removed. It's gone. And secondly, the need for a deputy, the need for a priest has also been done away with. The need for the human priest has gone. Now there is no holy of holies. You see, the Israelites gathered on that day of atonement and the priests were all there. And then the high priest would come and he would go into the Holy of Holies. He would go beyond the curtain. He'd go beyond the veil, beyond the curtain into the holy place. And he was going to pour out the blood on the Ark of the Covenant. He would sprinkle it on the top, on the top of the mercy seat. And in doing this, the priest was going... To be saying, God, we have sinned against you. And the priest would say, please, would you forgive us? Because the priest was a representative. A go-between. But friends, the curtain has been torn. You and I do not need a representative we don't need a high priest. We don't need a priest. We don't need a vicar. We don't need a pastor. We don't need a go-between. Because, friends, the curtain has been torn. I don't need anybody else to go on my behalf and plead for me except the Lord Jesus Christ who has died for me. His sin has been shed. I had a friend who uh, 
made it his way of evangelizing people in Catholic churches. And if there's anyone here who's offended by this, I'm sorry. But he would go into the confession box and preach the gospel to the priest. He's been thrown out of a number of, uh, <coughs> of uh, um, Catholic churches in the Reading area because of the fact they don't want to hear him speak to them. Because as far as they're concerned, they are the go-between. And if the priest says, okay, your sins are forgiven, the priest thinks he can do that, but he can't. You and I can now go into the holy place and you can pray to God directly. We, the worst of sinners, can pray to a holy God. Do you remember the man who went down and he didn't even dare to lift up his face before God? He just said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He couldn't even lift his face to look up. And even though his face was still downcast, Jesus said, that man went away, declared just. Just in the sight of God. You see, and this is incredible, Jesus is the friend of sinners. You may feel you have no friends, but Jesus is your friend. Why did Jesus come into the world? To talk to the righteous? No, to talk to sinners. The Apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners. He once said, I'm less than the least of all the saints. Now, I've got to be honest with you and say the grammar is not great. You know, in that particular statement, it's not. But I'll tell you what, the theology is fantastic. It really is. And here's the great news. If Jesus can save the chief of sinners, then he can save you. He can save me. We don't need someone else, as it were, to make some sort of atonement for us. Make some prayers for us. And when we hope that God will hear them. No, 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 no. You and I can approach God directly. The Bible just says, call out to him. The curtain's gone. The way is open. And we need to call to him. So the distance between us and God is gone. We've no need for a priest. Go between. So thirdly, the emphasis on days has also been done away with. What do I mean by this? You see, for the Jews, for the Israelites, it was just one day in the year, the Day of Atonement. That was it. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe that uh, we are blessed by having a very special day each week, a day where we worship God. And here in Canada, of course, it's Sunday. Sunday is the day where we traditionally go to church and we worship and it's a great privilege to be able to do this. And, and I and my family, we try to keep Sunday a special day. Because we recognize that we want to be uh, different on that day in terms of, uh, of giving God time. So we try not to be so busy. We try and give him time. We try to do the very best that we can. But the Jews had one day. But you and I 
have all day, 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, 365 days in a year that we can have fellowship with God. Not just one day, not just one day a week. Although I'm staggered at the number of people, particularly in our town, who seem to think that that's the way the, way the system works. You know, I have six days to myself, God can have one day. No, not at all. I can come to him whenever and wherever I am. I can be stuck in an awkward situation. I could be a million miles away, at least it feels like it, from the nearest church or the cathedral or whatever it is, but I can still come before God there and then, either on my own or with other people. I can be up on the hills. I can be down in the valleys. I can be in a crowded situation or I can be alone on my own. But I can come before God. So the distance is gone. God is now close to me. The barrier is taken away. I don't need a priest. I don't need a go-between. The restraint of time is gone. Not just one day a week, but all the time I can have fellowship with God. Now, I know if we were to go and talk to uh, some of the older believers here in this fellowship, they would tell you how important that is to be able to have fellowship with God every single day moment of every day some people think that God leaves them at night that the Holy Spirit doesn't live within them during the hours of dark that's rubbish he's with us all the time when we have come to faith in him so fourthly and lastly and this might sound strange but let me explain it the dread of death has been taken away because the curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom the dread of death has been taken away. When the high priest went beyond the veil, he was uh, wearing garments and at the edges, at the fringes of his garments. Do you know what was, well, you should know if you've been reading the scripture readings that we've been following. Do you know what was, what was all around the bottom? Can anyone tell me? Bells. Okay, tinkle, 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 tinkle. He couldn't go anywhere without someone hearing him. Tinkle, 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 you know. That was what he had. I think it was pomegranates as well, wasn't it? Little pomegranates and, and, and bells. So everywhere the high priest walked, everybody heard him. Everybody heard it. In fact, I understand that they used to also, t for safety reasons, tie a rope around the high priest's foot. Because as he went into the Holy of Holies, he would drag this rope behind him. Because if anything happened to him whilst he was in the Holy of Holies, they didn't want to go in to try and get him out. So they had a rope. And if there was a problem, they'd pull him out. That makes sense, doesn't it? Tinkle, tinkle, stopping. <laughs> Grab the rope and pull. The people could hear him. They had a rope tied around his foot. But now, my friends, the veil has been torn. It's been removed. And I don't need to fear death. Of course, death is still an enemy. But nevertheless, the Lord Jesus has himself gone through death. He has paid for my sin. And he says, I will be with you every single moment 
of every single day because you're mine. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the word of God says we need to fear no evil because he is with us. The sting of death is sin, but Jesus carried on himself our sin. Not my words, my friends, but God's word. And like the little boy who was the firstborn, when he says, Dad, is the blood ready? Dad, has the blood been applied? And the answer was yes, and the assurance was given in the word of God. And that's the same for us. So I can come to God as I am, boldly, anytime, anywhere. The emphasis on distance between God has been totally removed. The barrier is gone. There is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. He has died that I might be reconciled to him, to God. I don't need a deputy. I don't need a priest. I don't need a pastor. That's all been done away with. The emphasis on days is also gone. I can come at any time. And I don't need to fear death because Jesus has tasted death for every man and woman and boy and girl who puts their trust and faith and hope in him. Now, how much the Israelites understood that in the day and age, I, I don't really know. But the fact that it's recorded so clearly in the Gospels is really saying something very important here. And of course, later on in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, the whole theme is dealt with, particularly in chapters 9 and 10, that Jesus has died once and for all. It's not a repeated sacrifice. That's why we never have a crucifix in this church. We have an empty cross. Because the price has been paid. He died once and for all and for all sin. And therefore this evening I want to say, whoever you are, however dark your life has been, however dark your sins may seem to you, and sometimes, even as Christians, we find ourselves falling into things that we really shouldn't get involved in. We find ourselves saying words that are hurtful to other people. Words that we shouldn't be saying. We don't show respect to other people as we should be showing respect to others. There are deeds and things that we do, places that we go, people that we get involved with that we know we shouldn't get involved with. We sin. We let ourselves down, but above all, we let God down. And yet, we can come with a fresh start and say, Oh Lord Jesus, I need a fresh start in my life. And we spoke about this this morning. The month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And what was that talking about? Passover. The Christian life is a series of new beginnings. 
And it's saying, God, I need to begin all over. I don't need to wait for the Day of Atonement. I don't need to wait till next Sunday even. I don't need to wait until someone can come and pray for me on my behalf. No, Lord, I come afresh and I ask you to wash me. Wash me from my sin and fill me afresh with the newness of life that is in Jesus Christ. Lord, I am a sinner is the place to start. We confess our sin. This is what the Bible tells us to do. We repent of our sin. We're like a broken vessel in that sense. Here I am a sinner. A vessel. Marred. And damaged and broken. But nevertheless we are able to have within us the treasure of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, today, right now, wash me, fill me. Bring me into an intimate relationship with yourself and help me to walk with you day by day, worthy of the high calling wherein we're called. And if you've not yet trusted Jesus Christ, he's the one responsible, as it were, for removing the barrier between God and us so that we can cry out to him and just say, Lord Jesus Christ, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he will. In fact, as I've said so often, so many times throughout the history of the world, not one person who has called on the Lord Jesus Christ has been turned away. Not one. Repent of your sin. Turn to the Savior. And do you know what you'll do? You'll live forever in his presence. And you won't just be counting time. You'll be really living. Because the life that you live will be his life. And that's the life I want.